hymns on my computer that I'd taken to use here, and yesterday, as I was going through it, do you know what they're doing with these videos now? What's that? Uh, the bad guys on, on the computers. They are putting um, viruses in the videos. I, I just... <sighs> so we had three different hymns that we were going to play this morning, and all three of them had viruses in them. You can tell because I start downloading and it says 13 minutes, 17 minutes, 22 minutes to download. Well, that's not just a sound video. And then as you watch it, then your McCaffrey comes up and virus detected. And <sighs> Isn't this world wonderful? So... Uh, <clears throat> I'm continuing to find new songs. It's just very difficult. I hope you understand that. Um, this morning, we are going to deal with Matthew chapter 25. We're getting to the end of Matthew chapter 25. Can, is everything good? Are we all wonderful? All right, so here's what I would like to take place right now. If someone can... And get my phone from Mrs. Graff and take down the CE Hour one. Oh, it's up here. Oh. Okay. Um, give it to Scott. He's He's the man of many talents right now. We would not be doing a lot of this stuff without Scott. Um, just huge benefit. And uh, our elderly shut-ins that are out there, um, Scott's the one that's just doing it all. He's doing the best he can and doing a fantastic job, and I appreciate him. So what we're going to do is the CE Hour class did not, um, it didn't, the sound didn't go out, so we're taking that down. And we will upload it from the recording that we have. So the CE hour will go back on hopefully in a day or two. And I will tell you, that's a CE hour you need to listen to. That CE hour has some really good information from the text that will be helpful in your life. So I I'd encourage you to listen to it. I'm sorry it didn't come through. Um, but um, we do have it recorded, so it will. we will put it out there, Lord willing. Matthew chapter 25 is where we're at. We are, our plan is this, we're, we're, the, the talents, the parable of the talents is what we're going to be preaching about this morning, and there's not much left in the text. And then we will be heading back into Romans to finish up the book of Romans, and one of the things we're going to do in the book of Romans, when we come to verse or chapter 13, it's talking about governmental influence and governmental obedience, that type of thing. There are two messages um, which I was able to sit in on uh, the last conference I was at that are excellent, coming from both point of views 
And I'm going to implement those also into that study in Romans 13. That is the plan going forward. Lord willing, meaning unless He comes again. Then, then we don't have to deal with it. <laughs> but Lord willing, that is our goal. That is our plan. But our goals are simply our goals. God has, uh, could have very different plans for us. Matthew chapter 25, we learn a couple of different things. In chapter 25, we find, first of all, in chapter 24, we find that we need to be on the alert for the coming day of the Lord. Now, this is specifically talking about His coming again onto this earth, not the rapture. Specifically talking about that. But, as we're going to learn today, and I think it will be very, very helpful, the kingdom of God, heaven is multifaceted. And we'll show you today, we'll break it all down so we can get our heads around it. Last week I told you it's very difficult to know, does this apply to this group, to that group? And sometimes it's very difficult. How many remember that? That was before the country and western, which I was told isn't really country western, uh, which is probably true. Uh, music that we listened to uh, last week, that gave the principle. But the point of this is, the kingdom is multi-phased. Do you realize that Jesus Christ Himself said the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Well, what does that mean? And it wasn't Jesus only that said that, but also John the Baptist said that. How do we deal with that? The Holy Spirit indwelling us. Is that a kingdom gift? Promised? Absolutely. So we have always said, or haven't always said, I should say, but we've articulated that Northland is in some, if we can define it, an already not yet kingdom church. Does that make sense? We, we have aspects of the kingdom that we enjoy today. We are kingdom citizens. We have a king, Jesus. Amen? All those things are true. That, so therefore, in that aspect, it's already, but it's not completely fulfilled yet and it will be at the millennium so we're going to explain that in greater detail this morning so we can wrap our head around a little bit better and make it make sense of it so first of all we need to be alert we need to be alert we find that in matthew 24 number 25 we find with the 10 virgins we need to be prepared remember five of them came they weren't prepared sent home gone get out of here we need to be prepared this morning's message is based on Matthew 25, 14 through 30, and we need to be busy. And by the way, being busy, I don't want you to understand busy as a noun. Can busy ever be, ever be a noun? If you make it a double word, it can. And, and Paul was very adamant about this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, I believe. God does not want us sitting around being busy bodies. He wants us to be at work. He wants us to be at work. He wants us to be busy doing the ministry God has called each and every one of us to do. And each and every one of us have a ministry. Amen. We need to be busy doing that ministry. And that's what we're talking about this morning Work for the night is coming. That is found in John chapter 9, verse 4. 
We must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. We, while we can redeem the time, let's get busy. Amen. It's not just, and, and by the way, I, I, this is why virtual church is no church. We're not literally participating in church. We are watching messages. That's all we're doing. That is not working. That is uh, sucking it in, I guess you could call it. That is bringing it in. Now, that's part of our church services. Amen. But it is only part. As you are here within the church, as our daily lives are folding as the church, we need to be serving other people. Amen. We need to be about that business that God has given us to do. Whether that is taking the mail to somebody. Whether it's counting fish in a lake. Whether it's counting how many dump trucks came in lately. Or whatever that ministry is, all of it can be and should be ministry to God. Amen? Do you realize if it wasn't for what Bob Knaus does, you wouldn't drive on this tarred road to get to the church. He served you in order to make this happen. The clothes that you wear, the, the deodorant we put on this morning. <laughs> Someone else made that. They're all servants to help us glorify God. Unfortunately, we've taken all these things, all the works that man has done to glorify, unfortunately, ourselves and not God. Therein lies the issue and the problem. God wants us to work for the night is coming. Even that song last week. Remember the song? He was, man, I, I'm about to die, so I'm going to go skydiving, I'm going to go bull riding, I'm going to, I don't even remember all. And then I'll sprinkle a little God on the side. That's the world's view, that's not God's view. And that is certainly not a biblical worldview. Work for the night is coming. The outline of the talent parable, we went through this before. I just want to give you a heads up because we're going to go through these. First of all, money was given to the slaves. We will look at that expositionally today. Money was given to the slaves. The stewardship, the slaves exemplified. What did they do with that? The master is pleased and rewards two of the three slaves. And then lastly, the master is displeased and judges one of the slaves. So this is dis difficult. We talked about this last week and what it probably is. The issue is this. The it, and we did this last week, but I, it's so important we do it to this morning. The it, it, or it is, depending on which version you have, is a pronoun that needs an antecedent, which is found in verse 1. That antecedent, it is, or like the ten virgins, the kingdom of heaven will be compared to. And now what he's doing is, this parable of the talents is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, how is the kingdom of heaven like that? Let's just be honest. Are we going to have people in the eternal kingdom of heaven, are there going to be saved and unsaved? Yes or no? No. So the kingdom of the talents and the kingdom of or the kingdom that is talking about in the talents and the kingdom that is talking about in the in the parable of the the virgins, when is that kingdom? It certainly is not the eternal state because five of them go to hell and one of these go to hell. Does that not true? 
So how do, how do we figure that out? What is the kingdom of God? Is that a fair question? Amen or oh me? Sure, it's a fair question. What is the kingdom of heaven? We went through this, by the way, probably about 12 years ago when we went through the life of Christ or 10 years ago. Because we preached through Matthew and believe it or not, we're going to find out right now, the kingdom of heaven is Matthew's term. The kingdom of God is Luke and Mark's terms. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are synonymous. It's just that Matthew was written to the... Who? Matthew was written to the Jews. Do you know what? The Jews could not speak the name of God. So Matthew was understanding about that and therefore it's very possible that he refused to use that term for their sakes. Does that make sense? And we will find out in just a little bit, just right down underneath this, that Matthew even compares the two in Matthew chapter 19. He says, And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of... Well, what is he saying? The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are synonymous. So we need to think that way. It, and by the way, this is some of the nonsense the dispensationals came up with that the kingdom of heaven is a different kingdom than the kingdom of God. That is not true. It's not true. That was the early dispensationalists, and I believe wholeheartedly they were wrong in that. And I think this text proves that. So, the kingdom through the ages. We're going to go through these little by little. Number one, the kingdom prophesied. Let me ask you, is the Old Testament full of kingdom prophecies? Yes or no? Oh, absolutely. Is it all about one phase of the kingdom or is it multi-phased in the Old Testament? It's multi-phased in the Old Testament. It talks about the coming of Jesus. It talks about the church veiled. It talks about Israel's eventual millennial kingdom. All three of those are different phases of the kingdom, if you will. If you want to use the term phase. First of all, we have the kingdom initiated. Nowhere in the Bible do we find the kingdom initiated until Jesus Christ says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, Jesus says, Repent, or not Jesus, I'm sorry. John the Baptist says, I got this wrong. John the Baptist says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist says that in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In Matthew chapter 4, I just gave one verse. There are multiple verses for this. And you can, you can add if you want to, if you're taking notes. By the way, if you're taking notes super fast and you can't do it, here's a little, here's a little hint for you. I don't have my phone up here. Take your phone, flip it open, click. Now you have it all. All right? So you can go back and, and do that. Matthew chapter 4. This is where Jesus said, he was, Jesus began to preach. So after John said this, Jesus began to preach and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does that mean it was at hand? We finally have the king. 
Jesus is the, let me ask you, is Jesus king? Yes or no? He is king. Jesus is king. So we have now a king. Does he, is, are there peoples of the kingdom at this time in history? Well, certainly. I would argue that there's multiple different kingdom people in heaven or at this time. But the issue is the kingdom is initiated. Do we have the church at that time when it's initiated? No, we don't. It's still veiled. It's still a hidden thing. So in Matthew chapter 3, or early in when Christ comes all the way to when the church is started, I, I call it this way, from Jesus to the church, there's too much information to put all that on here, okay? From Jesus to the church is the initiation of the kingdom. It's at hand. We're ready. Here we go. Then we get to the next phase. The next phase is kingdom present. Are we enjoying all the kingdom promises today, right now? Absolutely not. No way. Let me ask you, in the kingdom initiated, are there both saved and unsaved? Yes or no? Absolutely. In this present age, Romans chapter 14, I don't know that I wrote all these ones, all these down to read them, but just give you the verses. In Romans chapter 14, it talks about how that we are kingdom people. So, kingdom present. Are there both saved and unsaved in the church? Absolutely. So we have in kingdom initiated and in kingdom present, we have both saved and unsaved. Then we find in Revelation, there's another facet of the kingdom, which we are not there yet. And that is the millennial kingdom. The millennial kingdom is when Satan is bound. He's thrown in a pit and is bound. No longer can he go out and attack people. It's where the Antichrist and the, um, the false prophet are thrown into the permanent lake of fire. They're gone. After that comes the millennial kingdom. And the millennial kingdom is what we're talking about at the coming of Jesus Christ, which will be at the end of verse chapter 25. There is a judgment. And in that judgment, he separates the saved from the unsaved. And for a nanosecond on this earth, all people are saved. But it's only then. Because people will still be given birth. And we find at the end of the millennial kingdom, there is a battle waged between those that reject Christ and are with Satan because Satan is loose for a season. And the battle is between God and His people and Satan and His people. And God wipes them off. Let me ask you, in the kingdom of the millennium, it is from judgment to judgment, is what that is. And from that kingdom, is there both saved and unsaved? Absolutely. If there's not unsaved, there'd be no battle at the end. There has to be unsaved and saved. So in these three, I'm going to try this. I'm not very good at this, but I'm trying to get better. In these three right here, we have saved and unsaved. A saved and unsaved are walking, living together. 
eventually there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Amen. And the eternal kingdom. In that eternal kingdom we find in 2 Peter chapter 1.11. Are there saved and unsaved people? No. Because the final judgment has happened. God has separated for the last time the saved and the unsaved. And now it is only the saved that will enter into that eternal state and forever will be there. And there is no saved and unsaved. There's only saved. Amen. Does that make sense? These are the phases, if you will, we'll call them phases, of the eternal or of the kingdom. It's not just one size fits all because that term is used all the way through because Jesus Christ is king and I am his, his uh, what do they call, uh, subject. I'm one of his subjects. You are a subject. And to be honest with you, Israel is a subject. So therefore, we have to understand that when we go into these parables about saved and unsaved people coming to the wedding, saved and unsaved people where God gives the gifts to, some of those people go to hell because they're unsaved. Do we understand this? Therefore, the, what he is talking about principally, do we understand that principally, is found in these three. I hesitate on this one more than I would on the other, for certainly it's these two. But there also is unsaved people during the millennial kingdom. There, there just is. And they, they outwardly look like they're saved. Because they follow the rules, because they have to follow the rules. There's a heart issue. And let, I'll just do another thing here. In the kingdom initiated, it was all inner kingdom. Does that make sense? The only thing outer was Christ himself. Everything else was inner, it was inside a man. Does he believe or not? In the kingdom present, it's all inner, is it not? Because Christ is no longer here, we are here, and the reason we're kingdom citizens because it's inner. Our heart is cleansed. We are a new man on the inside, if you will. It's all inner. In the millennial kingdom, it's both inner and outer. Because everything is forced, whether they're saved or not. There are people in the millennial kingdom, most of, many of them, that are truly born again. And they abide by whatever is told. Even the unsaved abide. They have to. Jesus is in charge. And he rules with a rod of iron. You will. Is the idea. So that's inner and outer. But the outer is forced. Then we have the final kingdom. The kingdom eternal. That is also inner. And it is also, it's perfectly inner. It's perfectly outer. And there's perfect peace. Everyone that is there wants to be there. Does that make sense? This is how you can hopefully understand all that's going on. So all but one... The reason this is important is because we're going through parables in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. Well, there's more than that. All but one kingdom phase includes... Both saved and unsaved, which we just argued. Amen? How do we know that? And, and are there other parables? Oh, yeah, there are. 
the sower and the seeds. Is that applicable for today? Absolutely. Number two, the tares and the wheat. Is that applicable for today? Is that talking about the kingdom? All these are kingdom parables, but they're talking about today. They certainly aren't talking about heaven. Can't. The dragnet. Talking about the kingdom. Folks, believe it or not, I think the dragnet actually is about the end of the tribulation when he he separates and he takes the bad guys and throws them out and keeps all the good ones. The ten virgins. And then finally, the talents. These are five of them. I don't know if there's more or not, but those are the five I thought of. There might be more. I don't know. The issue is every one of those is about they're saved and unsaved in the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like... Here it is. There's five ways you can look at it. And there it is. All those parables. And they talk about sift pulling weeds. Don't pull the weeds till the end because if you pull the weeds, you pull the good ones. Wait till the end. Pull the weeds and then the good ones go into eternal. The, the bad ones are burned when it's harvested. The dragnet with the fish, the ten virgins with being prepared and the oil, the sower and the seeds. Some fell upon stony ground, some good ground. And, and, and I'll tell you what. That one really bothers me because I've heard pastors get up, preach that message, and totally dismiss the explanation of that, <laughs> of that in the text itself and go against it. Oh my goodness. Some of these, God actually tells us what it means. Just read it. Tears in the wheat, the same way. Talents, the same way. It's all the same way. We have to understand that. Now, with this understanding... It is very revealing when nominal Christians forsake the assembling of kingdom citizens to partake in normal worldly activities. Did you hear that? I'm going to say it again because this is where the rubber meets the road. It is very revealing when nominal Christians Forsake the assembling of kingdom citizens to partake in normal world activities. Folks, the kingdom gathers together for approximately, we are kingdom citizens, are we not? We are kingdom citizens. It's not here yet, but we are still citizens. Now listen, this is a little difficult because we are in a pandemic. I get that. I'm talking in general. Do we understand? All right. The kingdom gathers together for approximately two hours in a 168-hour week to love and praise our God together. That's 1% of our week. We spend more time, and my wife hates this, but that's okay. (laughs) We spend more time driving, sleeping, eating, working, shoveling, bathrooming, than we do assembling. That's to put it in perspective. We spend more time in the bathroom than we do assembling together with other believers. Church is in some sense 
a micro sense of eternal reality in heaven. How many understand that? There are similarities of what is going on in the assembly of what is going to go on in the eternal heaven. Amen? I mean, we're getting tastes. And yet, it controls the smallest amount of our normal week. In short, and this is where I think it just gets a smack in our face. In short, what everyone is clamoring for. Let me ask you, all Christians are clamoring for what? Heaven! I can't wait to get to heaven! They're clamoring for heaven! So what every Christian is clamoring for, eternity in heaven, is what we are minimalizing assembling together. in our world today. Is that not true? It is abundantly clear, generally speaking, there are not only churchgoers and not churchgoers, saved and unsaved as we think, but there is a plethora of church attenders that are tender, attending with erroneous, faulty, and fallacious intentions. In other words, there's not only saved and unsaved, as we can see, people go to church and not go to church, but there are plenty of unsaved within the church. The principle, unsaved are mixed with the saved, and this characterizes this phase of the kingdom, and this will be consistent until the eternal state. The principle is clearly expressed in the parable of the talents. In verse 14, our first verse this morning, it is helpful to read and therefore understand it to be saying this. I took the freedom to help you with the pronoun, it. The kingdom of heaven is like a man going, to a, going on a journey who called his slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. That is why this morning we must understand, we must work for the night is coming. The day is coming when there is no work like we're working now. We must work the works of Him who sent me while we have opportunity. While it is day. For night is coming when we cannot do what He wants done right now. Does that make sense? First of all, let's look at the first part of this text in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. The money that was given to the slaves. The Bible says that the kingdom of heaven is like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. He's like a man who goes on a journey. Now, this isn't just a normal man. <laughs> First of all, we can see right away that this man owns what? This man owns slaves. Is that not true? If this man owns slaves, then he is absolutely a master, is he not? By definition, he has to be a master. He has his own slaves. By the way, they have been bought with a price. That should give you an idea of who this is talking about. So, this man is about to go on a journey. He's about to leave. 
Who is it talking about? We'll get it in a second. We'll spell it out, out. But I think it's so easy, it's hard to miss it. Who is the man? Christ. Jesus is the man. How many would say amen to that? Jesus is the man. He's the master. He is going to go on a journey. When was this written? Okay, it was written after Christ had already left, but the information is while he's still here, correct? So he is veiling what he's going to do, is he not? Do you, do you get what he's doing? So he's sitting on the Mount of Olives and he said, I could tell you exactly what's going to happen, but I'm going to give you a parable <laughs> to veil, to hide these things a little bit. It's like a man about to go on a journey. So he says, listen guys, I'm leaving. That's what he's saying. I'm leaving. You are my slaves. I'm leaving. By the way, anyone who is born again is a slave of Christ. You have exchanged from being a slave of the world or to sin to slave of righteousness, which is only Jesus Christ. Anybody who says any different has not understood Scripture and you need to bring it to the, their attention. We're a slave to something and right now he's specifically talking to his disciples and right now he's speaking to you and me who also are disciples or followers of Jesus. Amen. By the way, it's an impossibility to be saved and not a follower of Jesus. That is just ridiculous. Absolutely not true. He's saying, listen, you're my slave. I'm, you, I own you because I purchased you. And then he says, what does he say? He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted them with his, and entrusted his possessions to them. So this word slave here that we find, who called his own slave. It's doulos. It means to be under someone's control. That's, that's uh, the best lexicological definition I can give you is to being under someone's total control. That's what it means. The singular of slaves, it's a general term that refers to a bond servant. It was used of common laborers and menial household servants as well as skilled craftsmen and artists and highly trained professionals. And, and, and by the way, I'm just reading you the definition. I would argue a little bit about this definition. Menial household servants. I think that's bogus. Every service is important. Does that make sense? This is where I push against that definition a little bit. As if household work is menial or trivial. It's not. It's not at all. All these are important. Their commonness was in being the personal property of their owners. So no matter what they did, no matter what their job, no matter what their work, all of it was important and it was all done for the property owners, for the masters, who often had the power of life and death over them. When the master left town, certain gifted slaves acted almost in his full authority. 
who would that be talking about? Let me ask you this. Did, did the disciples heal people? Did Christ give His authority to His disciples? Yes, absolutely. When the Master left town, and by the way, that is does not mean that it's here today. That's not at all what I'm saying. He gave full authority to those disciples to act as He did so that people would look to them and, listen and say, oh yeah, that's of Christ. Until the Word of God came, when you have it in front of your face, what happened? Amen? It gives credence to them. Is the idea. That's another subject. He, when, so when he, when he left town, which he's going to do, he says he's about to go on a journey, he was going to give these slaves his authority. It's kind of like the power of attorney to deal with handling of all the assets and business operations of the owner on his benefit, for his benefit. By the way, does God do that today? In some senses. Does God gift elders to feed the flock? Yes, in that sense, absolutely. He gives them giftedness in order to feed His possessions. Help His possessions. How many would say that an elder is extremely important in the health of a church? Amen? So is the custodian. So is the tech guy. And you can go on and on and on and on. All these are important. I'm writing a large paper right now. And there are young people today who literally believe I think I write it like they have swallowed the archaic idea that to be a minister is far more respectful and important than being a construction worker or working with your hands. That is, my friend, called a sinful theology. It's not true at all. But does anybody remember when that happened? When that, why I call it archaic? Anybody know what was going on before the Middle Ages? With the indulgences? And, and, and that type of framework? Oh, if you want to be great in this world, become a Pope. You can rule the world. You know what? God hasn't called anybody to be a pope, let alone the pope. God has called us to minister wherever and however He has made us. Because He has made, according to our CE hour this morning, vessels of honor and common vessels. And it takes every one of them to make the world go around. Amen? So, this is what a slave is. Now, he entrusts his possession to them. So he, the slave, now has what? What would the word be called that he, the master has given him great what? Responsibility. Absolutely. 
The master has given him great responsibility. Let me ask you, who's the slave? Not hard. I will lay it out eventually, but all of us are. To one, the Bible says in verse 25, verse 15, to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. By the way, okay, I think I'm, I put a picture in here, so I'm not seeing what the next slide is, but he gave five talents. What is a talent? Let's focus on that first. What is a talent? Well, a talent is the ability to be able to play a guitar, huh? A talent is the ability to be able to sing. A talent is the ability to make cabinets. A talent is the able to make... Are those talents? Sure. Are they these talents? No. How many want to see a picture of a talent? I'm not going to tell you what that looks like to me. That's a talent. Does that look anything like what we're thinking about? <laughs> not a fault. That talent is what the historically accurate talent is. All that is, is a weight. By the way, you can see what is it made out of. Copper. This is a copper talent found uh, dated to 830 to 786 BC. It was originally a unit of weight. Now, can you imagine, just for a second, we think of talents exclusively with money because that's what the Bible does, usually. But that's not necessarily true. If you had as much money to weigh up to that talent, think about that. That thing's humongous, doesn't it look huge? So talents were also used to weigh anything. I would like five pounds of flour on one end of the scale, and when it balances out, there's your five pounds. That's what a talent was about. Now, in our context, the talent is about what? It weighs the money. It is, as a matter of fact, most of the time it's used in Scripture. I, I don't want to say every time because I don't, I don't know every text of Scripture. But most of the time it's talking about money. It's equating a talent with money because that's how the scale works. I have five pennies. That's worth six-ounce talent. And I'll know what that is. So that's what he's talking about. The reason we know that is because he said, you should have taken, in the end of the text, he said, you should have taken that money and put it in a bank. Well, you, you wouldn't do that to a, 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 a talent. How many understand? You're not going to do that with the scale, the weight of the scale, that helps the scaling it. So that's what a talent is. Now you've seen one that was way back then. That was in their mind when they read this, by the way. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one each one according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. So, this master is so unfair. Is he unfair to give people five and other people two and other people one? In a worldly mind, is this unfair? 
In our egalitarian culture, it's absolutely unfair. Because we don't understand, we really don't understand. That's just simple that way. He gave to the people what? Each according to his what? Ability. I would not want Captain Kangaroo to preach to me a sermon. That's not his own ability. That's not what God has entrusted him with. I would, no, I wouldn't hate. I would love to. But Wayne would hate it if I went and tried to fix his internet wires in one of them boxes. How many get that? That is not my ability. That's beyond me. So God's not going to say, okay, Tim, you are now an electrical engineer. I, what? No. He gives according to the... Why? Because they're going to do a good job, right? They're going to do a good job if they actually do the job. If they're working. How many get this? He gave five talents to one, two to another, and one to... And, and listen... All of those servants are extremely important and the job that they have to do is extremely important. What happened after he gave them the money according to the text? Well, let's, I'm getting ahead of myself. According to their own, his own ability. Who gave him that ability? God. God gave him that ability. I'm going to pick on Jake for a second. If I told Jake Sunday morning, hey Jake, yeah, I just, I'm down with COVID. You got to preach. I brought one of the most quiet, the, one of the quietest young men I know. <laughs> and that's who he is. That's how God made him. It would be totally out of he would say, yeah, I won't see you there because I'm not even going to be there. Am I right, Jake? <laughs> Maybe. Right. But do we get this? God has gifted us with different gifts. Everybody has a unique gift. And here's the problem. Most of the church is trying to, what's my gift? What's my gift? And we spend our whole life trying to Figure out our, what's our gift. Just do something for the Lord. Do what you enjoy for the Lord. That's your gift. I'm telling you, I love to preach. Because God has given me the gift to do so. And I love doing it. Now, we can get to the point where it's an idol... Because this is just a means to glorify God. Amen? By the way, I, I want to make this really clear. <clears throat> I think there's people that actually worship grace. How many understand that? They worship something that is a means to show what who God is. 
and they miss worshiping God. How many of you get that? Some people worship salvation. It's all about getting out of hell, getting out of hell, getting out of that's and, and by the way, that is a benefit of salvation, amen. But that's not what we worship. We worship God. There is a difference there. Matter of fact, Romans talks about a very men left to themselves worship the creation or what God has done and not who God is. It's a totally different thing. That creation is a means to know God. It's not a thing to be worshipped. There is something higher than creation. God Almighty. Amen? So He, he the, the God Almighty, the Omnipotent, the Sovereign One and Only, the Great I Am, Him, the guy that's on top of the top. Got it? That guy has graciously given us gifts to use. And then, what does he do? He went on his journey. Let me ask you, did Jesus Christ go on his journey? According to Acts chapter 1, he did. He left the earth and is now sitting at the right hand of God. That's his journey. This is what it's about right here. The master is clearly Jesus. Amen? It's really simple. The journey is the time between His first and second coming. He's on a journey. He is not here, quote-unquote. The slaves are all, and this is where it gets a little tricky, the slaves are all professing believers, not necessarily true believers. They are professing believers. Therefore, as we started in the beginning, did that make sense now? That's why it's important to understand that the, inner, the, the initiation kingdom, saved and unsaved. The present kingdom, saved and unsaved. The millennial kingdom, saved and unsaved. The eternal kingdom, all saved. Why is that important? Because God is talking to specifically, principally, not specifically, but principally to all those from the initiation kingdom to the millennial kingdom. You can talk about that principle rings true with all of them because there's both saved and unsaved at least bare minimum guising themselves, disguising themselves as saved. And then what are the talents? The talents are the giftedness, the abilities, the opportunities that God has given. And let me tell you, God has given you and I a great plethora of them. How are you using them? The talents in this text specifically, literally are talking about money. But he's expressing, listen, I've given you all this and I've gone away. How are you using these things? A potter does not go into his clay, make up a pot, sit it on a shelf and say, man, isn't that a cool pot? What does he do with the pot? Why did he make the pot? To be used. Did he not? The same with us. We have been created to be used by God. By the way, we're going to have, I'm excited about it. <sighs> Eventually, we're going to have a whole excursus 
I don't know when, Lord permitting, on Genesis chapters 1 through 3, why were we created? And I'm telling you, it's eye-opening. We've been created to worship God. That means we work for God. That's the very purpose of it. We work for God. That word there, the word is the term abad. How many have ever heard of abad? Sounds like some Muslim word, right? That's because it comes from the Middle East. Abad, it's a Hebrew word. It means, in the Bible, if you take the word abad and do a Bible word search, 90, or I would say 80% of what it means, how it's translated, it's translated different ways. One of the ways it's translated most of the time is serve. Serve God. Serve, 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 serve. Over and over and over again. We have been created to serve God. The question is, as we talked about last week practically, are we practically living as if we serve God or serve self? It's a real question. Because let's see what happened. Chapter 16 through or chapter verses 16 through 18. The Bible says immediately, I love that. I want that guy to work for me. How many are tired of people calling in and said, Hey, I was 30 feet away from a COVID guy. I, I was exposed. I'm staying home. Yeah, but this is the 18th week. Yeah, but it happened. How many understand? Now, some of that can be true. Some of it is worldly wisdom. How many get it? I want the guy that says, Pastor, what can I do? How can I serve the church? Where is there a need that is not being handled in this church? I'm ready. I want to go now. What can I do? Let me ask you, is that serving the Lord? Yes or no? Absolutely. It also means this. He immediately, uh, immediately he, he's the guy that he's to work a half hour or 15 minutes. By the way, I was raised that 15 minutes before work is on time. Many people live like 15 minutes afterwards about right. Let me ask you this. What does immediately mean? What does that, what does that term garner in our mind? He's on time, right? He might even be early, but he's going to get it, right? Listen, folks, you must be the best worker at that job. We're not there just to punch a clock, get a quarter, and go play. That's the world's mantra. We go and get in that, we punch that clock, say, oh, right, I'm ready to face this. Every one of us does that at work, don't we? How many get discouraged and disgusted and are frankly worn out of the last two years of working in this type of 
environment. Don't lose hope. You're not doing it for the Walmarts of the world, for the contractors of the world. You're not even doing it for the people you're working for. You're doing it for God. And that should change your whole entire perspective. You see, serving the Lord with the abilities that God has given you is not just church service. It's holistic service to God. Wherever that may be. Now, church service should be that too. But it's the whole package. You say, well, I'm not, I don't work anywhere. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. No, no, you're not just a stay-at-home mom. You have a great, important responsibility that must be met. And you must do it to the best of your ability. You're a father. Do it to the best of your ability. You're a dad. You're a husband. You're a wife. I'm thinking personally, and I'm not going to put that word in there, but I better do what everybody else thinks, right? I'm not questioning. <laughs> You work for a communications department. You work for a, a, a fisheries department. You work for a mining corporation, a construction company. I don't care what it is. Do it the best you can. Be, you're striving to be the best employee you can to glorify God. Amen. That's the issue. And that's what this guy, is this guy with the word, phrase in the front of it, is this guy doing that? I can just see him in my, he's the guy, he's, he's like Pastor Graff, he's like, what can I do? I mean, just come on, come on, come on. He's immediate about it. He's the guy that received five talents. He went and he traded them and gave, gained five more talents. What does that mean? He worked it. That's literally what it means. He went, he bought, he sold, he gathered more. That's what he does. For who? Who did he do it for? It doesn't say he went and got five more talents and he took three of the talents, went and bought a sports car and then he gave the two talents to his boss. Doesn't say that at all. He got five talents more. And by the way, we'll find out what happened to those five talents. So this is what it looks like. By the way, this is a, and I'm going to pronounce this wrong because I've tried it all day yesterday and couldn't do it right. So Nabataean. A Nabataean market. It was created on the site of, this is the site of what is called Petra. Ever heard of Petra? And it helps tourists visualize the life of ancient peoples who lived and traded in Petra. That's exactly what he did. They would go and rent they do the same things we're doing. They would take that, those talents, that money, they would go to a, a farmer and say, hey, I see you have vacant land over here. I will pay you this for that vacant land. Really? I was just going to let it go. So yeah, you go ahead. Gives them, let's just say, one of the talents. One, whatever that's worth. Then he plows and plants seed. He uses another talent or two to, to get the seed in and work it. And now he's grown a whole bunch and it's worth 20 talents. That's the idea that is behind this. He is slaving away, working away for the Master. Let me ask you, are we doing that? Many would say, man, that guy's a go-getter. That's what Christians need to be. <laughs> Amen? So that's, are you getting the picture in our mind? All right. 
Immediately the one who received the five talents went and traded with them, and he gained five more talents. He made money. He's out working. Why? Because the master's coming back. And he wants to show the master, I love you, I care for you, I did everything the best I could to serve you. And we'll see what happens later on in the text. In the same manner, the one who received the two talents gained two more. Do you notice in the text it says, in the same manner, the one who received the two talents got really mad because it wasn't equal, it wasn't fair, and he stomped off and quit. Not in the text. Now this is going to be hard to understand, but I'm going to try my best. If you are a person that the Lord uses Let's just use ministry because that's where we're at today, all right? That you, you, you are fine detailed and, and, and the, the floor, every, there's not a one spot on the floor. I, <laughs> I'm reminded of an illustration where there were two older ladies sitting in the front. They would sit there every day and the uh, um, janitor quit and the pastor had to fill in and, 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 and do it. So what she would do is literally rip a piece of paper, throw it on the ground before she left. And then come back to see if it was, next Sunday, to see if it was there or not. Like to hide it and see how good he was, right? right. right. So those are people that would notice that a mile away. And they would make sure it's always clean, always right, always nice, and always neat. That person and truly enjoys it. That's their life. They truly enjoy it. That person should not say, man, if only I was a preacher. Don't ever say that. How many get it? Don't say that. Now, there is an issue with that, and this is why I, want, I don't want you to be confused. There are people that are gifted, and they do, God has given them that desire to preach the gospel. How many understand that? All right, so there's a balance there. But listen, folks, the issue is God has made you great at something. Do it with all your might for His glory. Do it. Be the best you can be. This guy, he didn't complain. It doesn't talk about him complaining. It doesn't talk about being upset. He doesn't talk about, he was certainly, he had to be complimentarian if he never said anything. Meaning, yeah, my role is this, and this is what I do. His role is that. One's not more important than the other. All are important. What does that look like? Well, there's another scene. And in this, I, was, I chuckled as I put this up, because this is the same place. This is Petra. And here we have a young man not wanting to be there. <laughs> How many can tell that? And then we have the other guy working away. Let me ask you, which one depicts most Christians? I know I have mistakenly said things I should never have said. And one of the things I say is, I hate it down here. 
I hate this mess. I cannot wait to get home. Well, here's the reality. God has placed me in this mess to work His ministry. And I need to glory in that. Um, I've been that kid, too. How many would agree? Yeah, I've probably been there, too. God hasn't called us to pout. He's called us to work. Then there's the last guy, verse 18. We have 10 minutes before noon. I think we'll just finish this up here. And then we'll finish it up next week. <clears throat> because as soon as we see this slide, then we're at another subject. So, But he who received the one talent went away, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. So what does that look like? Well, it looks like that. That's what it looks like. So this hole is likely the work of an antiques thief. And this actually is the land of uh, the hometown of Amos. Anybody know who Amos is? Amos is not the country guy that is seen on the Western movies. You know, Amos with the no teeth. and the... No, This guy is a prophet of God. And he's from Tekoa. Tekoa. T-E-K-O-A. This is Tekoa. And <clears throat> it's located in the West Bank. You've heard that, right? So why is there a hole in it? Because Israel does not have as much jurisdiction as they do in other places. And so the, the thieves can dig holes to find treasures. Now let me ask you, why is a thief trying to find treasure? Pardon? I heard it. it was money. Thank you. Yeah. For whom? Right. You see, a thief goes in the ground and hides it. Because it's about him. Now, in this text, it doesn't say he was going to keep it. It doesn't say that. But it does say he digs a hole and puts it in there. So here's two possibilities I thought of. There's probably many possibilities. One possibility is, I don't know that I can do this. So I'm just going to save it away for when he comes back later. Is that what God wants us to do? Is that what Christians are doing? I'm not sure I can do this giftedness thing. Let me ask you, is every person gifted Every believer gifted. Yes or no? Yes or no? Yes! What are you doing? Well, I don't know about that. that that's prideful. It is. Have you ever tried it? Well, no, but it's just embarrassing. There it goes. It proves the pride. <laughs> it's not about you and me. It's about Him. We've been trying to sing that song every day this month. It's about the cross. It's about Jesus Christ. 
So yes, I understand when we're doing something new, it's, oh, I don't know. We get antsy, we get nervous. But folks, if you enjoy what you do for God, do it with every ounce of energy you have. The energy that you have to do it is given by God himself. Literally, to be honest with you, God's doing the work through you. Amen? That brings us to another point. If God is doing the work through you, then there's no, not going to be any nefarious work. Right? Because it's all about God. You're not going to go steal for the glory of God. Because that's what you're good at. You know what I mean? So this is an illegal excavation and it's all over. Matter of fact, I'll give you a quick illustration of this. So on the south east corner of the Dead Sea, there's a land called the Plain Cities. Plain as in P-L-A-I-N. Right? Plain, the plain. Because it's very flattish on most of it. Um, it goes up in the mountains, but it's very flat. They're called the Plain Cities. Anybody know where the Plain Cities, what cities, what popular cities would a Christian know that would be under the, under the aspect of the Plain Cities? Right. Sodom and Gomorrah. That's two of the most popular ones. Literally, there was an archaeologist, a Christian archaeologist, claimed Christianity. They, they, they wanted to find Sodom and Gomorrah. So they literally, literally drove down. They believed it was in the south side of the Dead Sea. So they drove down there. They got out of their car and stuff. And, 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 and they had to take care of business. <laughs> we'll put it that way. They got out their car and they stumbled on artifacts that the wind had blown undercover. So they go down and they find the plain cities. Well, somebody else did too. And within multiple years, they started, they started seeing satellite pictures that looked like the moon by these plain cities. Do you know what it was? It was raiders stealing the artifacts from graves. And there were holes everywhere. Why are these raiders doing it? To pad their wallet. Why would he be doing this? It's either to pad his wallet or to not have to work like his master wants him to. It's one of those two that I can think of. Maybe there's other reasons. But it's all nefarious regardless. Does that make sense? In other words, don't be tepid in serving the Lord and don't do it for personal gain. Amen? I, I don't know the heart of this guy. I just know he didn't do what God wanted him to do. And I think there are a lot of Christians like that. Dr. Bowder and Dr. Burgraff both told me, yeah, you must do, you should do. Dr. Burgraff made me, and Dr. Bowder agreed. <laughs> you need to do something on bivocational. Because, and then one of them, I'm not going to say who, one of them said, Tim, you're not going to believe this. Just had a guy graduate. He will not go to any church that's less than 100 people. 
Because He's qualified to do that. Let me ask you, is padding the wallet could be part of that? Is pride for sure part of that? You know, there's people right now that have been, and I praise the Lord for them, I, I, I don't know them personally or well, but they've been in cities with 15 people for 10 years. Many pastors, and I, I, I'll be honest, I've done this myself. You know, I, when am I going to get a bigger church? You know what? God's placed me here. This is the best place for me at this moment. And I'm going to do everything I can to serve you and serve God faithfully. That needs to be the attitude of every believer. Work for the night is coming. Do we get it? Is it clear? We must, we must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. Folks, it is day. Right now. It is day. Why? Because night is coming when no man can work. Now, there's one more aspect of this. I'm going to say it quickly. There is, and, and, and I, don't, I don't know how to handle this, I can just tell you that it's a biblical truth. God will give gifts in heaven for serving Him as He chooses you to serve Him. How many understand that? There are crowns, there are gifts. That's just simply expected in heaven. Does that make sense? You, there's no working for anything there. There's no reward in the end. Now you say, well, that sounds kind of um, selfish. I, I get it. But it's because of my human mind it sounds selfish because God put it in the text multiple times. So we have to understand that what, how we use the gifts that God has given us today for His service is how He will reward you in heaven that's a true statement i don't know all the psychology behind that but i can tell you it's a true statement and it matters to god therefore it should matter to me the reality is the only time you can work for those rewards are now there is no other time none one of the things that i think it might be is God is the opportunity to take those crowns off of our head and throw them at the feet of Jesus. I want to do that. I don't care about the crowns on my head. I want to throw them back at Jesus. I'm losing opportunities to do that every day. Because I cannot take back what I've done yesterday. Work today. Now. Mr. Scott, can you close in a word of prayer, please?